Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 152. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 152 you're listening to. My guest today is Horatio Bowles, who is from the South American city of Montevideo, which is the capital of Uruguay for those geographically challenged. You might remember Horatio from my interviews I did with the attendees of Mix with the Masters. That was episode number 145. And in that episode, I briefly spoke with Horatio about his thoughts about spending a week with Chad Blake there in France. So uh, based on some of our conversations that we had about being an audio professional, I wanted to have Horatio back on the show to tell us more about his world. So yeah, this is the interesting thing that uh, really, really uh, caught my attention. Uh, Horatio spent some time in England working alongside producer Phil Manzanera. And I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, he is well known, of course, for playing guitar in the band Roxy Music, co-writing with Pink Floyd, as well as touring and collaborating with David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. So, And now that he's back in Uruguay, Horatio is running an AV company and planning his next steps. We'll talk more about that and uh, the role that plays in his professional audio life. So stand by for Horatio Bowles here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, uh, just a reminder, reminder to check out the subform we sponsor over on Gearsluts.com called Audio Life. And many of the same topics we discuss here on WCA, you'll find on Audio Life. So check that out. Um, also want to hip you to this. Many of you who have listened for a long time might remember way, way many episodes ago, I was talking about Sonarworks and uh, the role it plays in my system where... You know, I set it up and when I do a mix or when I master, you know, it's, you know, uh, correcting some of the issues that my little room here has. I also did a video uh, that's out on YouTube. You should check that out. Well, actually, no, you shouldn't check that out because I have the solution to the video. The video uh, was meant to solve uh, a problem where if you wanted to put Sonarworks on the whole system, uh, that's was a little bit of a challenge with the reference three software that was out. So I created a video to uh, solve that problem. Long story short, um, Sonarworks has come out with reference four uh, version of the software. And that works uh, not only as it does in a DAW, but it can also work system wide without the same bunch of hassles that I talk about setting up in the video. You know, it's, it was complicated while it worked it was just a big pain in the ass and uh, Sonarworks of course has solved that problem which is brilliant so yeah they're going to have some black friday sales coming up here after uh thanksgiving in the united states so be sure and uh check those out if you're interested it's really cool head on over to sonarworks.com uh, and see uh of course the upgrade uh possibilities that you got if you're on reference three uh they have some choices here for you. So uh, you don't have to just, obviously you don't have to rebuy the software entirely uh, or pay the full price. So check that out at uh, sonarworks.com. Here's a little pro audio history for you. I want to talk to you about, believe it or not, next year, 2018 is the 40th anniversary of the lunchbox. And I'm not, no, I'm not talking about the lunchbox you pack with a lunch, but the 500 series lunchbox. 
Uh, that's right. In 2018, it's the 40th anniversary of the first commercially produced 10 slot powered 500 series module rack of, you know, what we call the lunchbox. So um, I was curious about this. So I reached out to Paul Wolf, who's a legend in the industry. And Paul is the former owner of API and Tonelux, and he currently is the director of new technology at Aftermaster Labs, as well as the CEO of his new company, which is called Fix Audio Design. So Paul gave me some history on all things Lunchbox and 500 series. So I'm not having him on. I actually, I'm just going to read what he wrote back to me. I asked him what the facts were. And this is what he said. He said, uh, and I'm reading from a, from a, a message from Facebook Messenger. It said, um, Uh, He said the 500 series in general was invented by API in the early 70s as a way to build consoles faster and more efficiently. They had the 550 EQ and a very custom odd-sized 512 mic preamp slash line line amp. And he wasn't sure if it was called the 512 either. He said they also had the 312 card mic pre, the 325 card line amp. They also had a VU meter peak light card, uh, a relay card, and variations of the 325 as a phono preamp and an oscillator. So in the early days, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Troy C was a company uh, that made a 500 module that was an EQ that had a threshold on it as a three-band compressor EQ that could do additive or subtractive EQ using the threshold. And then uh, he goes on to say APSI, uh, in parentheses, Steve Crump, made a graphic with the click switches like many of the graphics in those days and api actually marketed it for them uh then api came out with the 554 parametric and the 560 graphic the 525 was around from the early days as well and then he says when people started parting out api consoles they made racks out of vero racks and made their own 19 inch 500 racks Around the time, uh, a company called Datatronics took over API and they started making 500 racks. And Marvin Cesar, or Caesar of eight, Marvin, yeah, Marvin Cesar, I guess, of Apex, uh, Apex made a 500 EQ and a 500 compressor and made a box that held them. It was pinned out slightly different than the 500 standard and had a simple plus minus 15 volt PSU in it. And he said people started buying just the racks from Apex and inserting API stuff in them, and it became very popular. Art Kelm started selling them in to artists and engineers like Steve Perry, of course, of Journey, who had a uh, a mic pre, an EQ, and a compressor in it. And it was his instrument of choice when he tracked at different studios. So Art began to refer to them as the lunchbox, and it became known as that. Uh, when Marvin decided to kill the line, uh, Paul said that he asked him if he would mind if he took over to sell them. Uh, he said no problem, and he redesigned the backplane, made them match the API format, added a voltage triple to the PSU so we could have 48 volts, he says, and officially called it the lunchbox. Over the years, they improved the design. They came out with the 500 HPR, a horizontal two-slot rack that the Dave Matthews Band must have had about a million of for stage use, he says. Um, then we came out with the six pack. So Paul is just a wealth of information and history, and you should check out his new company uh, over at fixaudiodesigns.com as well as aftermaster.com where Paul and former WCA alum Pete Dell are working. Also check this site out. This is cool. If you're into 500 series modules, it's called 
uh, www.500theseriesmodules.com. It's a database of sorts of 500 series modules that are commercially available. So be sure and check that out. So I, I hope that's somewhat informative. That's just, uh, you know, uh, you know, reading Paul's words doesn't do it justice as it would have been to get Paul on, but we just didn't have time to to arrange that. So before we get to our interview uh, with Horatio Bowles, I just uh, want to remind you to stop on by uaudio.com where you'll see that Universal Audio has given away a free U82 satellite with the purchase of an Apollo rack that offers good until December 31st of 2017. So quite a nice deal there. So check that out. Well, that's it. So uh, let's jump into our conversation with Horatio Bowles uh, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, and it's great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too, Matt. You're five hours ahead. I am, yeah. Okay. You it's sent me the time for me now. It's dinner time. Okay. Is it 9.25 there? It's 9.25, yeah. Okay. So it's way past dinner time. Well, for me, we, we have dinner at this time here. Well, I hope I'm not hold, holding you up from dinner. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> well, I'm curious, since we last saw each other... Uh, what's been going on since we both got home from Mix with the Masters? I just got from Argentina. I went on tour with Phil Massanera, the producer. He went there just to play a gig at the, a place called CCK. And yeah, I just I just came yesterday from, the, from that. How long were you out for? It was uh, ten, 10 days almost. It was like we were rehearsing for four days and uh, almost five and then the show, and then we stayed just to record some a documentary for him. This is Phil Manzanera, who who is in Roxy Music, right? Exactly, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta ask, uh, <laughs> you know, you you've been working with him for a while now, right? Well, yes. Um, I actually I lived in London for a couple of years, where I studied, and then I I worked there, and the, the, there is where I met Phil. Um, I stayed for almost th three years, and then I came back home. And after I came back home, I just kept on going like twice a year to London, mm -hmm. where I just did uh, some very little stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I now have uh, credits on his last two records. Wow. How did you meet? Well, I was starting at this place called Alchemia, and... There was this um, guitar masterclass, guitar recording masterclass with him. And there, there also was a Coldplay's producer and the guy who recorded all the Led Zeppelin albums. So I went there because like Pink Floyd for me is the biggest band ever. And, and I started talking to him and he invited me to the studio and I, I went there and started working. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very lucky. I'm curious about the type of, type of things that you're learning from him, and what kind of advice he's giving you, or you know, career, you know, direction of career, etc. What anything to talk about in that area? Well, yes. The, the thing with him is that he already made his career, so he doesn't have any rushes on releasing new stuff or whatever. So everything we did. Together, we, we took the time uh, he needed. Mm. So, for example, the, his last record, it took him like four years to, to finish it or so. So, yeah, it, it was a very old school way of working with him. At the same time, I also was working with uh, a guy called uh, Javier Weiler, 
who he was, he's the former Stereophonics drummer. Mm. So at the same time, I, I got to see like a very commercial way of working and then the old way of working. So it was good. It was a, a good experience. Well, so let's go back a little bit. You are from Uruguay. Yes. At what point did recording become part of your life or where did, when did you become aware about the, the act of recording? I started playing, playing drums and guitar when I was eight years old and I always wanted to write music. So my sister had a MacBook back then and she taught me how to use GarageBand. She just uh, told me very the how to just press record and that's it. And that, that was the way I started recording when I was like 10 or 12 years old. But I didn't know what uh, the role of an engineer was. Mm. So I didn't know that I wanted to be an engineer or, or a producer. So I, I just recorded my own stuff and that's it. And when I was 18, I, I actually I was going to be a commercial pilot, airline, pi airline pilot. Yeah, I already was flying by myself and I was going to go to Jacksonville in Florida to study. I needed to have an English exam. And for that, I, I went to London to study, where I, I realized that I could become a musician or work as a musician or engineer or producer. That before that, I always thought it was a hobby. So that changed my life. I, I then decided I didn't want to become a pilot, and I went and studied for to become a producer and engineer. What was it that you discovered that caused you to realize that you could do music and recording? The thing is that back here, it's really hard to be a, mus a musician or work from in the music business. There, there's pretty much non-music business here. So it's always a hobby for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I never thought it was possible to actually earn money by doing that. I guess I'm not really clear, like, why is there not a, uh, a scene of why is there not a recording scene in Uruguay? There is, but the thing is that you need uh, loads of money to to have a, a studio. Okay. So, and, and here, like, uh, there's not much money, so musicians tend to record at their own place. So mm -hmm. they they don't really need uh, someone to to do it for themselves. Uh, and you, to do it for them. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to say you you're in. Uh, it's do you pronounce it Montevideo? Montevideo. And for my American audience, who many Americans typically don't know where <laughs> where a lot of other countries are, Uruguay is in South America. Uh, where is Montevideo located in in Uruguay? It's uh, on the south of Uruguay. Uruguay is located in between Argentina and Brazil. And Montevideo is like it's the capital, which uh, there are 1.5 million people. So it's like a almost like a small town. Like what kind of population are we talking about? In, in entire country, it's three million. Three million. Okay. Well, you and I had talked a little bit about the cha challenges of buying recording equipment and how expensive it can be, just because of the import taxes involved. Yes. For example, uh, I see you're speaking on an Audio-Technica microphone, which I am as well. And of course, mm. you know, Audio-Technica is a sponsor of the show. But to get a microphone like that in, in Montevideo, well, in Uruguay in general, would cost considerably more than it would if you were in the U.S. or Canada. 
Yes, the prices here are almost like twice uh, as the, the original price. So everyone tends to just um, fly to other countries to buy equipment. Mm. And so that's that's another reason why there are not many studios around here. Because it's almost impossible to... If you want to buy an SSL, it's almost impossible. And that's why. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it, it's expensive to buy it. And then to if you need to repair it it's it's more expensive so yeah what about if you were to buy used equipment would that suffer the same fate as new equipment yes okay everything that is it costs more than $200 then you have the to pay the tax uh, taxes that are uh, they start at 60% of the price of the item. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm sure you'd love to see that change in the future so that uh, a more robust recording and music scene could occur. Because I'm sure that musically there's, I'm sure that there's a lot of great music in Uruguay in general. There is. We, we have great musicians and the music is incredible here. The thing is just, uh, we, you have the, the minds, but not the resources. That's, that's the only problem. Probably like Cuba in many ways. Yes. Yeah, well, not, not not as bad as Cuba, but but yes. So the time you spent in England, uh, I'm sure that was kind of eye-opening. Yes, because like you, you don't have limitations there. So the only limitation is your, yourself. So and you have so uh, the competition there is incredible. They are so good doing what they do, and you need to make a, a really big effort to just. Uh, be at the same level as everyone else. You and I have talked uh, in the past uh, when we were in France hanging out. Uh, we were talking about you were talking about go going back to England to do some work. Yes, I, I'm probably going back to England next April. I'm, I'm not really sure exactly when, if it's April or June, but I'm definitely going back. The main reason I'm coming back is because like, I love uh, English music and I want to be part of it. Well, when you go back, ultimately, what what is your plan? Will you continue to work with Phil? Yes, uh, I may just go back and do some stuff for him. Uh, he he has his own team now, and there's really really good musicians, producers, and engineers. And uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm not going to go straight and start working with him, but uh, we'll probably do some stuff, and then I'll mm. see what what where I'm going. My recollection of, I can't remember the music specifically, but I do remember how my impression of the music uh, that you played the, uh, first of all, it sounded incredible. And Thanks. part of that, of course, was supported by the fact that the playing was great. The singing was great. And that was, of course, you singing, which was like, it's kind of funny. You, you hear something like that and you're like, that, that's you? but uh i'm curious how because i mean you really haven't been at it that long really have you um i mean you've been no, no. you've been doing music for a long time but in terms of recording you you don't have a ton of years under your belt right well um i started um recording school when i was 18 and that mm -hmm. was two years almost and now I'm uh, 24 mm -hmm. so yeah I'm not I don't I, I haven't been there that, that much that's long 
Um, but but yeah, I, I'm I'm always trying to get better. I'm I'm really hard on myself. I always mm-hmm. think I can go and do something better all the time. That's why I'm. I don't know. I'm really. I, I don't know the word how you say it, but I'm always. I'm very perfectionist. Ever since you got out of recording school, it was it's been, so it's been six years, right? Yes. Okay, so you're not even at ten years yet. The stuff I heard did not sound like somebody who's been at it for under ten years at all. Well, thank you. I also had a great team too. Like uh, I also worked with these guys, uh, uh, Javier Weiler, and if you li- have a listen to the, my stuff uh, in, on Spotify, then you hear uh, the quality because of them too. You know. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know uh, the guy that mastered uh, our last album. He he was uh, he also mastered Jamiroquai's stuff, Madonna, Madonna's work. So he's really really good, and that it's not only myself. It's just a, it's a teamwork. Tell me about recording school and what you got out of it. As, as I told you, this place uh, was called Alchemia, and uh, the thing with that place is that you are Two, ye- two years studying how to record and produce, and you barely have free time there. So you can have a recording session from 9 p.m. until 7 a.m. in the morning, and then at 11 you had another lecture. They were so intense on doing uh, practical work that we b- barely had time to do anything else, b- barely have time to sleep, actually. The teachers were incredible too. They are all working in the music business with great artists, and that's probably why they have really good connections. And they tend to—they are not um, shy on opening and giving you their connections to to make you better. For example, I I did some work as a as a runner for AB Road, for example. Uh, and that's not not something you get everywhere, anywhere else. Wait, you you got the job as a runner for Abbey Road for some live live uh, shows, yes. Okay, but but they just tell you like if they had the opportunity, they just told you, and they they didn't just take it for themselves, you know, which is incredible. They are so, so, such a great people and and teachers, and that that's also why. Anyone that got out from Alchemia did so well in, in the industry because um, it's, it was really intense and the teachers were extremely good. I've taught a, a bit. Well, I've taught, I think, five five years, maybe six years, I think. I taught for a chunk of time uh, at school in San Francisco. And I'm curious, as a teacher, and obviously, you know, I'm not claiming I was the greatest teacher on the planet, so everybody should be paying attention, but there was always, there was always at least a handful of students that were really into it, asked a lot of questions, really challenged you um, as a teacher, and I love that. But then, inevitably, there were students who sat in the back, sat on their phones, um, they're, they sat in front of IMAX at their stations, and so they had headphones on, and a lot of them were doing other things, mm-hmm. not even paying attention to what I was saying. And that was frustrating as a teacher 
and I try to change things up to make it more exciting. But I just came to the realization at some point that not everybody really cares and that some of these guys were, were there to just, uh, you know, fulfill certain requirements that they had. And then I know the art of recording with microphones was not something they really gave a shit about. So curious what the, the story was at your, your school, were there students that weren't paying attention? Not actually. The thing is that in, uh, in our class, we were eight. So there were very little, uh, in each class, uh, and I don't know what, what I felt from the other students is that uh, we were all living our dream, you know, <laughs> like uh, it was a great, it was great to be there. Hmm. Um, there were lots of like lots of students from uh, another parts of the world, which is interesting too, because you get to know their cultures too. Uh, so it was an entire experience, not only uh, by learning how to record, but just by meeting incredible people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there any point during your time at school where you thought, I don't know if I'm, you know, going to make it. I don't know if, was there any part that was too hard for you or? Well, yes. More than once. That happened to me more than once. For example, with the, the language, uh, it's not my, I don't speak English. Like it's not my native language. So that's just one point. At some point I did when the language gets technical. More than once, it got difficult for me. And I said, okay, maybe I'm not understanding everything and that is going to make things uh, worse or harder. Then um, by listening to my stuff and comparing it to another student's, which was 10 times better than me, that was a bit frustrating too. But like the thing is that I, by comparing, I got to realize what things I did wrong and maybe I, I was able to fix them a bit quickly than mm. if I didn't compare it. How do you um, navigate a career when you know that the country you live in, while you may love it, has its challenges for your career? So what do you do to get around those challenges? At the beginning, I, I just didn't care about it. I just wanted to make good music and meet great musicians. But then when I, I, I needed money to live, uh, I, I had to, well, I, I now have a production, audiovisual production company. So I'll do bo- both things at the same time. I do video and sound here. Uh, and that's why, that, because like there's not much music, in, um, not much money in music, but there is in video. So it's also art. So it's, it's fine for me. It's not exactly what I would love to do. I prefer just to do music, but it's what I have to do to to be uh, comfortable here. Tell me about your audiovisual company. Well, I I do loads of commercials. I I do music videos, for exa- for example. Uh, I direct music videos, and that's kind of uh, my solution to be in between vi- video and audio, just to do music videos. And that, that, that's what I mainly do, commercials and music videos. That's and, amazing. Well, uh, I do also lots of fashion stuff, like so, fashion photography. I think that's so funny that the name of the t- town you live in is Montevideo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. A little, it's somewhat ironic there, but... Um, yeah. 
uh, I think that's amazing that you overcame this challenge by creating this company. And so obviously there's a demand for this. People need these, these services. Yes. Yes. Um, well, the thing is that, uh, the government here, here, uh, does, um, if, if you do stuff for outside, you know, uh, then you are able to not pay taxes. Uh, so, uh, international brands tend to come here to record lots of things because of that, because it's cheaper for them. They don't need to pay taxes, and the how you say the the people that work here they don't charge too much, so it's that's cheaper too, and that's why they come here in here to film stuff. Your client base is is made up of international clients. Is that true? Yeah. 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 Okay. What's the name of your company? It's called Vincent. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixture between uh, Vincent Van Gogh and Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction. You're able to, does that help facilitate buying the gear that you need for music? We still have the same problems, but there's more money in video. So the, I'm able to buy stuff, well, uh, to travel and buy stuff outside and then bring it to here. The thing is that if you buy something, uh, if you go to Miami, for example, and buy something and bring it back here, you only need to pay 60%. But if you buy it here, you need to pay the 60%. The guy, the retail uh, company uh, paid and what they are earning. So you end up paying 40% or so uh, extra above the 60 And that's why it's easier to go outside and buy it yourself and do all the imports yourself. Amazing. You know, the thing is that everyone needs to, to live and earn money to live. So if you import stuff here, you need to add a percentage, percentage on top of the import taxes. Okay. And that's why it's so expensive. Okay. But ultimately you would like to go to England and spend your time recording there. Yes. Uh, is that challenging from a from a visa standpoint? Not really. Uh, at, at the beginning, it it was because I was on a student visa and I had to go back to Uruguay because of that. If uh, I had a like, I was living my dream. I was working with the producer of my favorite band, and and yeah, I had to go back. But now, uh, like my family comes from Germany. And I spent the last six years trying to get my German passport, and I finally got it. So I, I hopefully I won't have any problems. It depends on what happens with Brexit, but hopefully in the next years I, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, it would seem that German citizens wouldn't have trouble coming I to England. Think so. I, I think that is for the next four or five years, it's going to be fine. I don't plan ahead of two years, so it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I understand why. Where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? Hopefully uh, playing music. If I had to choose one thing, I would love to to become a really known musician and mm -hmm. live from my music. If not, by being a producer engineer, um, that, that's also my dream. So hopefully just recording great bands and making great music. Will it be 
hard to leave Uruguay? And I mean, do you leave a lot of family behind in that case? Uh, kind of, yeah, it's hard. But everyone understands that the opportunities you get outside Uruguay are much better than what you get here. So uh, it's really common for lots of uh, people to leave the country. Mm. Actually, like we are three million and almost a million are living outside the, the country. Wow. Yeah. D- didn't know that. So, yeah, it's not it's not going to be a problem. It's uh, The only thing is that, well, I have my production company here, so uh, I don't really know how to manage that, like being abroad and having a business here. Uh, I will see what happens with that. But, but yeah, that's the only problem. Horatio Bowles here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to pause for a minute with our friends with Audio Technica. Uh, You know, I don't know if you saw the CMA Awards, but this is the 24th year in a row that Audio-Technica has provided uh, microphone solutions for them. That's a pretty big show. I don't watch it every year, I'll be honest with you. But I do watch it some years. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the technical aspects of putting on that show. So really, I mean, if you think about it, what kind of mics would you use that you know are bulletproof that are going to get you through the show and solve all of your microphone needs? I probably, if I was in charge, I would pick Audio Technica as well. So, uh, yeah, well, next year, watch the CMAs again and see what mics they're using from Audio Technica uh, and see, uh, you know, obviously some good performances as well. Uh, if you haven't been over to their website, check it out. It's audio technica.com. Have a look over there. And of course, uh, they will be at the NAM show and I will be stopping by there. So, uh, you know, stop on by the Audio Technica booth at NAM and uh, come say hello to me. And that's it. Let's get back into it with Horatio Bowles here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. If it became a challenge on a German passport to get into England and to do the work that you want to do, would you ever consider giving up citizenship in Uruguay or Germany and, and becoming an English citizen? Okay. Yeah, if that's the solution, uh, it's fine for me. I'm not going to even get into the gear lust thing with you uh, because I know that it's already a challenge to... Well, actually, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about gear <laughs> lust because the process you use to decide to buy a piece of equipment is very different from somebody else who doesn't have these these import tax restrictions. So you go through a a very different process. I just recently bought a Grace uh, monitor switcher and I found it used on eBay. Now, if you were to try to do that, I paid $2,500 for this. So if you were to buy that, not only would you have to pay the shipping, but you'd have to pay the import tax. Yes, it's going to cost me almost like four grand to me. And that's used. And that's used, yeah. Okay, so what's the process you 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 dis, you use to to make a decision about equipment? Well, uh, first of all, I need to be extremely sure of what I want to buy. So I, I tend to do lots of research before buying something, and then when I'm extremely sure, I just wait until I, I have a to fly it somewhere. And when I fly, I just buy, buy it there, and then come back and do do the the import tax thing myself it's, it's, I never buy equipment here in Uruguay we don't have good equipment here to buy it's just easier for me to fly somewhere else and, and bring, it, bring it myself 
I also went, when I I was in London, I did bring uh, really good pieces of equipment. So I'm kind of fine with what I have. And also after being with uh, at mix mixed with master with, with Chad, I, I realized that I don't really need extremely good uh, equipment. I can make anything sound good if I'm able to, you know, if I have good taste, I can make it sound good. And actually those, like if some something sounds terrible, it may make me do something that I wouldn't do normally. You realized that when you were working with Chad? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. He made me, he like, he changed my, the, the way I thought about loads of stuff. He's good like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's incredible. Are there other people in your town that you can share information with uh, that you're close with that is is also an audio related person? Not many, but um, but there are, um, and they are really good at what they do too. So their opinion matters to me. So I, I do tend to ask ask them about new equipment or whatever I want to buy. The thing is that. Um, Audio equipment for I think it's extremely subjective, so it might be it might work for me but not for you. Mm -hmm. So I tend to ask uh, other people, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I'm the the one that is going to use it. And I know if if it works for me. So yeah, um, their decision matters, but but mine uh, it matters a bit more. <laughs> How do you continue to educate yourself in audio? Just by listening to music. Uh, I do listen to loads of music, and including music that I don't like. Uh, I sometimes do listen to music in a technical way. That, that, that's the main thing I do. Um, I look for loads of tutorials in YouTube, for example. But but I don't like. I, I look I look at them, but I don't tend to use them actually what I learned from YouTube, you know? I just know my gear and and tend to make things work, you know? Because, like, everything sounds different. different. So the way you recorded something is, is going to be different than mine, and maybe we can use the same preset, and it's not going to sound exactly the same. So I, I, I do research and on, on YouTube, but but I just tend to use my ears on music. Do you have any uh, habits or routines that you do to keep yourself motivated or keep yourself like, uh, you know, I always bring up the example. Some people are really into smoking pots. Some people are into praying. Some people are into jogging. Is there anything that you do in your life that keeps your mind focused for you? Yes. Uh, being around creative people. For me, that's the, the best thing I, I could ever have. Uh, mm. It doesn't matter if it's uh, audio related or anything else. It, it, it motivates me to see people doing something new. So I tend to get, be around that kind of persons. So do you constantly seek those type of people out in not only in your town, but do you travel around Uruguay and, and meet other people? No, not really, because. Um, uh, outside the the capital, there's not much, so uh, we pretty much know know everyone here. Uh, but for example, mixed with the masters was uh, it was for that, you know, 
I love how Chad mixes and I find him extremely creative. I think he has uh, great tastes and I just uh, tried to to make it work for me to go to mix with the masters because because of that, because it motivates me. I'm just doing a, a, a search here uh, for recording studios in Uruguay and there's a studio called Montevideo Records Studio. Do you know that? That's actually a label. That's a label, okay. Yeah, the, the only good... Uh, studio around here is called uh, Vivace Music. Uh, that's one of the number one choices here. And I worked at that studio for two years. Okay. They've got, uh, looks like a, uh, an SSL. Uh, the AWS. AWS, yeah. Yeah. And it's set up for surround mixing, apparently. Yes, yeah. I did some surround recordings. Uh, interesting. But that's about it, right? That's about it. Everyone that that's recordings they have like a, they tend to have like a great room and it's probably at the engineer's house and they don't actually need an assistant or any anyone else to so the the habit of going into a recording studio is not that common here okay. they tend to go to to the producer's place or their own place and record there that's it there must be a great sense of frustration for you because of the limitations that you're facing. Well, yeah. At the, uh, when I came back from London, like uh, I got so depressed because, like, I had to leave my dream job and come here. That it was extremely hard to get resources. But now I think it's not that bad uh, because, like, having those limitations, it it made me do my stuff in a different way that I would do if I had everything. I tend to really put a big effort on making things sound good, even if, like, I don't mind if something is distorted or if the artist gave me the files in a wrong way. I just ma managed myself to make it work. And that's something I, I'm, I learned from having those limitations here. So mm -hmm. it, it was bad at, at the beginning, but now I think it's it just, uh, it was a, an opportunity to to have a a way of working that probably uh, mo most of the engineers don't don't have. Yeah. The setup that you're on right now, what what do you have? What what is that setup comprised of? I have uh, an Apollo interface, uh, the the first one, uh, the Duo, and then I have uh, a stereo Calrec preamp that was from the BBC. Mm -hmm. It was a channel strip of one of their mixing desks. And yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's that, that's my recording gear. Then I have a chaos pad and some guitar effects that I use for mixing. Mm -hmm. But I tend to do all my mixing uh, on the computer. And what are you using to mix? What DAW? I use Pro Tools. Okay. So have you ever considered just making a living being a mix engineer in Uruguay because people can just send you files. Um, I'm trying to do that now. I'm also um, collaborating with um, some English musicians. Um, so I, I just record some stuff here and then I'll mix and and I'll send, I'll send it back. So yeah, I, I love mixing and I'm trying to do that, to, to make it work that way. That's, that's a good solution, yeah. Well, uh, Horatio, it's been great to see you and great to chat with you and to get your perspective on the limitations that you have that you're working with and working around and your plans for the future are very inspiring. And it's, it's a completely different perspective. And I thought that when I met you in France, I was like, wow, 
I can't imagine, you know, not having access to everything like that, like we, like we do here in the U S all the time. So, uh, my hat's off to you, uh, as they say, um, to the, the fact that you're, you're making it work. And, uh, so bravo. Well, thank you, Matt. It was great to, to be here and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's great to see you and, uh, you take care. Horatio Bowles here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Wow. Those are some challenges our friend Horatio is dealing with there, and he is kicking ass at it. So hats off to you, Horatio. Hey, we are out of time, of course, so you know how it works around here. We got to thank everybody. We start with, of course, Mr. Cliff Truesdale, Mr. Chuck Smith, and Mr. Cole Williams. We want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, Vocal Monitors, Lawton Audio. We want to thank you. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for taking the time. And as usual, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.